Chapter Four of Colonel Greatheart. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Herndon Bell. Colonel Greatheart by H. C. Bailey. Chapter Four. Colonel Stow sees his inspiration. Colonel Stow heard with alarm that my lady Leap was bound for Stoke Manor. Madam, says he in agitation, you spoke of a lady in sore need. Is Mistress Weston distressed or ill-bested? I said she was in need of me, my lady Leap snapped. Colonel Stow bowed and begged the honor of being her escort. My lady Leap, who had no means of denying, said with an ill grace something polite. Bearing away from the hills, as the sun sank upon a troubled sea of gold and gray, they came by heavier roads to the dark blue-green meadows, the brown tilth of the vale. Colonel Stowe breathed deep the unforgettable, grateful sense of home. There was blood in his cheeks, and again and again his eye gleamed for a hedgerow, a tree of memories. All the way Royston and his minister, checking and checking again, dropped slowly back to them. Both were concerned to see what my lady Leap would do when they came to the dark files of elms that led off the highway to Stoke Manor. She made no mystery. She had no suspicions, and was in a hurry. With a bow, and a good morrow, sir, a good morrow, your reverence, she turned short off. Colonel Stow halted, and swiftly set Joan Normandy down, who was surprised, and stood there looking at him, like a child alarmed by some adult wickedness. You know the homestead, George, he cried. Commend these good folk to my father. I will be with you in an hour. And he was off after my lady Leap. Colonel Royston, having with grace assisted Joan Normandy up behind him, found her father regarding him severely. "'Aye, sir,' said he with a shake of the head, "'your melancholy anticipations have been gratified. I congratulate you on your worst suspicions.' The minister frowned. "'Pray, sir, why does your friend company the malignant?' Colonel Royston was never prodigal of the truth. Why, sir, consider. He deems the creature a lady, and tis but common courtesy to be her escort to the end. Is he thus beguiled? the minister questioned. I would never trust the man that cannot be deceived, said Royston, who himself, I take it, saw always very clearly. Colonel Stowe, and my lady Leap, neither, I doubt, much liking the other, made great speed to the manor. And I wonder if Mistress Lucinda Weston liked either, when they surprised her in her garden in an aged, faded, dark gown. She checked her walk and stood like a queen, cold and proud, gazing at them full. "'Twas she alone,' says my Lord Digby in an intimate letter that converted me to an admiration of slight women. She was cleanly, 
straight as a pine, lithe as a willow sapling, yet with a hundred graces of allure. She was other than beautiful, as I judge. She gave a man challenge by the fullness of her life. Her charm was in strength. She had the wide, fearless eyes of a boy. The warm splendor of her hair, the full lips near scarlet, were vivid of passionate will. Colonel Stowe, whose face was very pale, whose heart at wild work, bowed before her to half his height. My Lady Leap sped to her, and caught her breast to breast, and kissed her. The blood was flowing in Colonel Stowe's brow at that. But Mistress Weston freed herself from the embrace, all composed and fair of cheek. "'Good morrow, child,' says she. "'It is kind in you to come.' My Lady Leap, who was red and something disordered, circled her with an arm again. She permitted, but was more concerned in Colonel Stowe, who stood rooted to the ground and dumb. "'This is a friend from old,' she said and he saw that strange, wise smile of hers that ever made his heart check and throb. It was Major Stowe last. What now? Colonel? Or Baron of the Empire? Or Knight of the Fleece? And she held out her hand. Colonel Stowe went upon one knee to kiss it, and she leaned back in my Lady Leap's arm at ease. Colonel Stowe, madam, says he, and always your most true and humble servant. Tell him how he has served you in bringing you me, Lucinda, quoth my lady Leap, and appeared to find the position humorous. Tis you should reward him for that, child, said Lucinda demurely, and made herself more comfort in my lady Leap's arm. My lady Leap royally presented Colonel Stowe with her hand, who kissed it in turn. "'I have been honoured by my task, madam,' says he. "'I wonder,' says my lady Leap in soft mirth. Colonel Stowe, who saw nothing mirthful, turned to Lucinda. "'But, Mistress Weston, madam has told me that you are in need. If I can avail, I am utterly at your command.' "'Nay,' quoth my lady Leap, Lucinda needs only me, and therewith embraced her closer. It's not so, child. They looked in each other's eyes and laughed. Then my lady Leap smiled upon Colonel Stowe. Colonel Stowe bowed. It is well, madam. I will pray leave to wait on you again. Sir, you are always pleasing, quoth Lucinda. And Colonel Stowe went away mighty well content. Guarded from the road by a great hedge of yew and a noble orchard, close the homestead of Broadfields stood. Its red walls and roof were mellowing with lichen, and in the last sunlight it glowed like a house of jewels behind the white glory of the blossoming trees. Across the gate a man of some years was leaning. Hair and small beard had come near white, but his cheeks were like a russet apple, and his eyes wide and clear and bright. He held up his hand to his son, and Colonel Stowe swung to the ground, and with arms linked, silent, they walked to the house. 
Colonel Royston, boots and buff coat laid aside, lounged with a long pipe in the doorway and surveyed them benignly. "'Well, well,' said the father, as one who recalls himself from the extravagance of emotion. "'And so you have brought a maid home with you at last, Jerry?' and the brown cheeks wrinkled humorously. A maid in love with righteousness, so doomed to die a maid. Have you heard her story, sir? Aye. God save all children, for I think all parents be mad. This fellow has not been in enough turmoil today, but is off to the army at Aylesbury, and hath left her here to weep by herself a night. A simple clean maid, too, Jerry, says the artless father. Why, sir, simple more than enough, and clean more than enough, too. Well, you ever took more pepper to your meat than I. Come in, lad, and we'll to supper before George Royston here has spoiled his stomach with a pipe. Man is not pig, say I, that he should be better smoked. Why, sir, I am much like Bacon, said Royston, the friend of man, but no love of the ladies. Proper enough for a married man, but dull life for a bachelor. Well, and what will you have for a whet? Pickled eels, or something of a smoked neat's tongue, or a taste of the new Dutch salad? They were in the hall of the homestead, a broad, low room, all dark oak with candles bright in pewter sconces, and a fragrant pine log red and gray on the hearth. Soon they made a little party at the head of the long table, with serving men and maids heartily busy below the salt. Joan Normandy, on Mr. Stowe's right hand, too shy to speak, too shy to see anything but her platter, was plied in vain with many good things, till when she would taste neither turkey pie nor a porridge of veal and plums, the men despaired and let her be, respecting grief so potent. They were dallying with the apples and cheese and strong ale, and the serving folk all off to bed, and a pipkin of sack posset hissing comfortably upon the hearth, before Mr. Stowe had a mind to speak of what he felt. Royston watched him look at his son, and knew a strange pang of loneliness. "'And have you had your fill of war now, Jerry?' says he. Colonel Stowe laughed. "'I am back for a bigger meal of it, sir. "'You have a war here that gives one appetite.' "'It gives me the stomach ache,' said his father, "'because a king wants to be God, "'and Parliament men want to be kings. "'Honest lads that might be raising good wheat and good children "'go goring one another like mad cattle. Pah. Well, well, there was something left out of me that is in you and your brother. I want nothing that I would make men die for. David, sir, cried Colonel Stowe, is he turned soldier? Egad, he's turned saint, too, which is more trouble. He hates a bishop, as I do, the fly on the turnips, and conceives he'll make an end of them, which I do not. He is the major of a sweet company that pray like old women and fight like butchers, with a pragmatical preaching lawyer, Ireton, to their colonel. Oons, Jerry, 
I hope you are no saint at least. It balks a man with his dinner. Then suddenly the good man remembered the girl at his side. Nay, my dear, I mean naught against you or your worthy father. Tis a parson's trade to be precise and godly, and we like him the better. And a woman is the comelier for standing above a man. You are as sweet as a nosegay at table, but a man likes some ease for himself. She blushed. She was daintily shy, trying to find words. Nay, please, oh, please do not talk of me. But sure, sir, tis a man's duty and great joy to live and die for the glory of God. Ay, my dear, and I know no better way of it than to grow good wheat and good children for God's world. Ah, but there is faith, the girl cried, her eyes shining. We are not without that. The true faith. We must hold it and preach it in word and deed, if by any means we can save people. Eh, little maid, little maid, I can never be so sure my neighbor is lost. If he does fairly, I'll not quarrel with his faith, or bully him into mine, or kill him to save my soul. Well, well, I am too easy for the times, I think, like cider of a frosty day. If you like strong wine, here is Jerry, who would set all the world by the ears if he could be general of half. What, lad, you would still be great or nothing, eh? The man who is not great is nothing, said Colonel Stow. Now, I think something of the little man who can hoe a clean roll, said his father. Eh? Well, it is good to have fire in your belly, and good, too, to have burned it out. You will be blazing some while yet, Jerry. He cocked a wise eye at his son. Still for Mistress Weston? Till the end of time, sir. At the assurance, his father was swiftly so melancholy that Colonel Stow was alarmed. Pray, sir, what ails her? he cried. His father faltered. Why no ill for herself, but ill for you, lad? She is betrothed to a young gentleman out of Berkshire. One Gilbert Bourne, a captain of the king's. He comes to her dressed in a woman's coats to cheat the Puritan patrolmen. And, Jerry, lad, I doubt not it is he you brought her today. The wound was kindly given in one clean stroke. Colonel Stow leaned back and shaded his eyes with his hand. Then Joan Normandy, though indeed it could be no blame of hers, blushed painfully and Mr. Stowe, looking anywhere but at his son, saw that her brown hands were clenched till the knuckles glistened white. In a moment she rose, made her curtsy, and fled away. Colonel Stowe did not see, did not hear Royston making swift, facile talk of the spring sowing. He was groping breathless in a world from which the light and air of hope had been torn away. He did not perceive that he had been wronged, that the false my lady leap had dealt with him unhandsomely that lucinda had borne part in an ignoble mockery of him these matters passed him by 
the impulse of his life was suddenly dead. He was afraid. The rhythmic clatter of ordered horsemen broke upon him. He started up pallid. Who goes? he cried fiercely. Royston laid a hand on his arm. The sound came nearer and passed, while the two soldiers listened keenly. A troop! What does it mean? said Colonel Stow more calmly. It means that our parson knew the man under the petticoats, said Colonel Royston, and my lady will be adorning a Puritan prison without them. The vision gave him plain consolation. Colonel Stow strode out. End of chapter 4